Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio, and we are in Extra Innings. We are so excited to have a second segment with Representative Trom Nguyen. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. With me today also are Martha and Karen, and Judy has joined us again as a guest, which is fantastic. So when we left off, you were raising these really important issues. I want to go back to one where you were talking about during COVID, there's 17% unemployment in the state. And I know for some people looking at the legislator, they're thinking, well, the number one priority is going to be the budget in September, figuring out how to provide immediate relief to people who are in financial straits. But we're wondering, a woman who finds herself pregnant now, who's lost her job, can't afford to pay her rent, and feels this is not a time when she can have the responsibility and be able to take care of a child, feels like that is part of the emergency situation that COVID has created. What are your thoughts about how to consider the person in that position given these extraordinarily difficult times? I think that the what COVID has done is that it has exacerbated the issues that we've already been seeing in our community. This is nothing new. The, it just makes things even more difficult. So a person who uh, was living in a form of paycheck to paycheck now has to also deal with the concerns of going to work and trying to figure out, um, you know, childcare because childcare is even harder to come by now. So all of these issues have already existed in our, uh, in our society and community. And this is why my position has not changed. And, and in fact, my uh, support for the Roa Act has solidified exactly for the reasons that you stated um, due to COVID. It just has made things so much more difficult for people. And we need to not only empower pregnant people, but also give Give them the resources to increase their agency to make these very hard decisions. We're all making very hard decisions during the pandemic. And so to remove these hurdles would just be so um, crucial in making sure that uh, we're addressing the health and safety of the people who need the most in this time. It's so helpful to hear because there's this I don't know that it's only for women, but women are often raised and conditioned to be sensitive to stepping aside with their needs to put other people's needs first. It's just part of most cultures that women end up in that spot. So there are people who feel like, oh, I better step back because there's like busy and important work to do when it seems like actually the busy important work that you're doing is is taking care of people who are more vulnerable precisely because they are pregnant and either they can't go forward with the pregnancy or they've learned about it later than they would have liked because they couldn't go to their regular doctor visits. So they're in really a difficult spot. And I'm thinking about what you talked about is a success in your first candidacy, which was instead of stepping back and hiding who you were, actually bringing forward what was true for you and finding that was true for all your constituents who stepped up to vote for you. Judy, I'm wondering when you hear your representative talk about putting reproductive justice on the front burner at this time, how does that feel for you? It feels really amazing. And um, I mean, it's not a surprise to me, obviously, because I've known what Tom's position on this is, but I would say um, with regard to Roe, as with pretty much almost any issue I can think of, um, Trump is out there advocating for the position that, that I believe in. So it's really been, it's really been great to have her as, as my rep. Thank you, Judy. Trump, I have a question. How do you see yourself different from your opponents? In this election cycle. For those who are not familiar with this race, we have two Republicans running in the primary and one of them will go against me in the general election. And the uh, 
it seems as though the differences among us uh, are the exact same differences uh, between myself and Jim Lyons back in 2018. I have opponents, well, one of them, but both of them have come out to say that they are anti-immigrant and that they don't support making our community a more welcoming and inclusive place for all, which for me, it's just uh, such a important uh, issue, especially now during the time of COVID, where we want people to feel safe, to call for help when needed, to get resources when needed, so that we don't end up with a worse second wave because people are not seeking the care that they need right now and the resources that they need right now. And so for me, that has been the uh, you know a priority of mine and that continues to be a priority of mine. In addition to that, just recently, my um, one of my opponents, Shishan Wang uh, from Andrew over a Republican uh, came out and in an interview in the patch to say that he's against the Roe Act, uh, which we've been discussing this whole time has been a cornerstone of my campaign and also just um, reproductive justice. It's so important to not only women, but men as well. Like, I, people tend to, you know, talk about reproductive rights as though it's a women's issue, but it's not. It's a family issue. And we were when we were talking about the pandemic and talking about family planning, I would think and I would argue that everyone um, in a particular family should have a say in this within, you know, um, in collaboration and coordination with the, the pregnant person, but that should be a decision between her and her family. Uh, and so for, um, for me in this race, the issues remain the same. My priorities are to make sure that we're looking after um, the health and safety of the people in the district. They're making sure we're working on reproductive uh, justice and rights and women's rights, making sure that we're working on environmental justice, making sure that we're working on to address the opioid crisis, making sure that we're working on uh, uh, gun safety and reform. Uh, the same issues that I worked on before, not to mention how housing, transportation, and making sure that our district gets its fair share from the state and having someone to advocate on behalf of the district so that we have the resources that we need so that people want to live, uh, play, and raise a family in the 18th Essex district. So you said that one of your, op one of your opponents is not a, an immigrant advocate. But from what I hear, I, I assume they come from families of immigrants. So what, how can he say that? How can he advo advocate for not having immigrants in a country built by immigrants? Well, you should read the, the, um, the article in the patch that just came out today, but he specified that, oh, both Representative Wynn and myself are immigrants, but we are legal immigrants, and we should focus on, you know, legal immigrants only. And for me, I think that um, our immigration system is broken. I practice immigration law for years. So I understand that we, it absolutely needs reform. And of course, people would want a legal path to citizenship or you know, to be able to immigrate here um, legally. There are many um, hurdles. And as you've seen within the last four years, we've also seen how uh, the federal government has decreased the number of refugees and asylee cases and, and also even restrict um, the ability to get uh, 
VAWAs, the Violence Against Women's Act. These are the things that I did when I was in immigration law to limit it um, so that uh, fewer people can gain access to these sort of immigration relief. And so when we're talking about a combination of fewer relief and the need to address the people who are currently here and making sure that they feel safe enough to um, reach out for help and get the resources that they need, I emphasize the ability for us as a state to look after those people and give them the resources that they need so that they could um, work with the rest of the Commonwealth to get us out of this pandemic. Violence, violence against women in particular is a global problem. And so many people we're reading about who are turned away at the southern border are often women who have been raped, who are pregnant, and who are seeking asylum, and they are being literally carried back over with no, there is no legal path right now. And we did, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, well, we've also seen an increase in domestic violence since the outbreak of the pandemic. We've seen a drastic increase in um, not only domestic violence against women, but also child abuse. So all of these things really um, shows just how important it is for us to allow these people to call for help if needed, because it would be just so much worse if they're too afraid to call. I, like I said, I practiced in this area. It was hard back then when I was practicing to get some of these folks, even those with paperwork to come to court, to even call the police when something happens. We don't want um, people to just suffer in silence, especially during this time where everyone is so isolated. Tom, I wanted to ask you just about your own experience as being a woman of color in the state house or even in the community. I mean, are, what kinds of extra challenges does that pose for or not? Well, I think it was hard to run as a woman of color. There's a statistic out there that says, you know, women need to be asked seven times to before they would even consider run, running for office. And for women of color, most of us aren't even asked at all. So I was very lucky and um, fortunate to have people who considered me and saw my potential to be a representative and to be in an elected office uh, to ask me and continue to push me to run for office. And since I made that decision, um, you recall from 2018, a lot of folks just were so surprised to see me at the doors uh, because I don't look like what they would expect a, you know, a elected official to look like. I look much younger than I am. I'm in my mid thirties now, but uh, very fortunate to, uh, to look much younger, but that could also be a hurdle because when, you know, I'm trying to have these conversations with folks, uh, there are a lot of doubts as to my ability, my intelligence, uh, whether or not I belong in the seat. And I'm sure some of you have seen the article um, in the Boston Globe when I first uh, got elected into office. My aide is a male and there was a lobbyist who came in, looked at my aide and said, are you rep so-and-so? And he said, no, then turned to me and said, are you rep so-and-so's aide? And I said, no, I'm rep Wynn. And they're like, you're rep Wynn's aide? Like, they just couldn't believe that you know, I could be a representative. And that's not to say that aides are any, you know, any less than we are. And in fact, my aide is just phenomenal and they do so much of the work. The fact that this guy just could not believe that I could even be a rep. Uh, but I think that, you know, over the last um, year and a half, I've built enough relationships and um, have worked on enough issues that people do now recognize, you know, me as a state representative, but we're still lacking in numbers. I'm one out of six women of color in the entire legislature in the Commonwealth. I'm the very first Vietnamese American woman ever 
to hold elected office in the entire history of the Commonwealth. That's just crazy to me in 2020. And so there's a lot more work to be done. We're only at 30% women uh, in the legislature now. So we need to elect more diverse voices so that we could have more robust conversations and allows for more innovation and creativity. And so um, I am committed to making sure we're building a pipeline and supporting others who bring different perspectives to the state house so that we could have more round, well-rounded um, policies that you know could benefit and allow for equality and equity for all. Maternal health has been an issue that's been under the covers for many, many years. There's a feeling that a person gets pregnant, she goes to the hospital, she has her baby, and everything's wonderful. There's been a lack of understanding that the way to the hospital has a lot of hurdles for so many people, even those people of substance. And postpartum depression is a very, very serious issue for many women who just have a real tough time coming out of it. And of course, the um, mortality rate is higher, I believe, in the United States than any other functioning country and higher here with, uh, within the communities of color. How are you addressing that in your district or what more would you like to see be done to bring this issue out of the closet? I am very lucky in that I um, have amazing colleagues who have really been um, in the forefront addressing this, uh, this very issue. And I've been an advocate along with them and very proud to be one. And this is exactly why we need to elect uh, more women into office so that we can continue these conversations and continue to push for these issues to make sure that we address the disparate impact on uh, women of color, especially Black and Indigenous women who um, suffer high higher mortality rate than other um, uh, racial groups. And so, so some of the uh, bills that are currently um, in the legislature and we're going to continue to push for them is to address this very issue and also to make sure that we have doulas available for, for pregnant people while they're giving birth as well as for the care after and talking about um, how to increase mental health for to address that very issue of postpartum depression as you were talking about and to actually give people the um, ability to talk about these issues without the stigma. That is the key. And like you were saying earlier, for years and years and years, women have just been suffering in silence about these issues. And so it takes a lot more of us to bring these issues to the forefront so that we can continue to advocate and put in um, measures that uh, could benefit pregnant people overall. It's like when we've gone to the state house as Red Cloaks, some people are super comfortable talking about healthcare, talking about abortion, talking about just even race, really. And other people are very uncomfortable talking about all of these topics. So I'm, I'm really wondering from where you're very comfortable and you're working with a wide range of people, what are some of the strategies you might pass on to regular people who are listening when they wanna go talk to their legislator about these issues? Um, are there ways to make it easier for legislators? Should we try to make it easier? Should we, what's what's the best strategy to be heard? Advocate prior to getting elected, I think the best strategy I can give you is to, to um, 
tell the personal story of why it's important to you. And for me, I think it's very important to make sure that we're very intentional about bringing in folks who have never been exposed to the state house before, because you just need to get their foot in the door. I always think back to the fact that my parents have never stepped foot into the state house before their daughter was elected into office. <laughs> and that is, that is true for many people, many families, because there's this fear that, you know, oh, I, I don't know what to say. I, I don't, I didn't do all my research, but you don't need to. Um, for, to be frank, most of us are not experts in many of the legislation that's before us. Uh, I'm sure you know, over 8,000 bills were filed this session. I'm the first to say, I'm not an expert in the majority of them. <laughs> and so you, don't, as a, a, a citizen, as a concerned um, a resident of our Commonwealth, you don't, we don't expect you to be experts, but we want to hear from you of why you support certain things and to tell how it personally impacts you. I think that's a very powerful story. I used to um, work with my clients and bring them in to tell their personal stories to advocate for particular bills. And so that's something to think about, to share these stories of how it you know, a piece of legislation could impact the day-to-day -day life of people. Uh, and also to be upfront with the legislator. I mean, if they're not comfortable talking about certain things, you, you can continue to push for it to get their position. I don't think that um, that legislators would have a problem letting you know their position and, you know, they should not have a problem with you asking for their uh, position on particular issues. And I would be the first to say, you know, if, from 8,000 bills, there might be a bill that I just have not seen and I could get back to you, but you know, you could ask to, to bring that to my attention. And in fact, I'm very grateful when people bring particular bills to my attention because I might've missed it in the 8,000 bills that go through. Uh, we usually pay attention to the bills that come through our committees and you know, I'm assigned to four. So those are the bills that I take a closer look at. Um, but, in, but I try to look through the other bills as much as possible. But if anyone said that they've gone through all 8,000 bills, so I. Yeah, 8,000 is like, whoa. Um, where, what's going to happen from here um, with regard to the Roe Act? Why has it been stuck in committee for this long? Do you think it's going to come out of committee and get to a floor vote? What's, uh, what do you foresee for the Roe Act? So I know that people, um, you know, you tend to say it's been stuck in committee, but I can assure you that the committee is working on it really hard. And I've had multiple conversations with the chair, with members of the committee, and what they're doing now is really trying to go through it. I'm sure you've seen the bill is a very long bill, and they're going through um, every single piece of this bill and also talking to members to see where members are at. This is a very like you were saying, tough topic to talk about. And we have um, legislators from across the political spectrum. So not everyone is at the same place and they're trying to figure out where everyone is. And so as, um, as you know, we voted to extend session into the fall to continue working on this bill. There's no um, end date yet. So session, as far as I'm concerned, is it will end on December 31st. And so there will be opportunities in the fall to continue our, our advocacy um, and to um, really, you need to reach out to your legislators to let them know that this is important to you so that they can let um, the chairs and others in the Judiciary Committee know that this is a very important issue to them. And, and so um, I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to reach out to your legislators. I've gotten many, many um, emails and calls from you all as well. Very thankful for that. Uh, and we welcome them as well because that shows just how uh, much support um, of this bill we have in our districts. 
So this has been a very exciting uh, conversation. Would you let us know how we can find you, how we can get more information? You can certainly reach out to my office. Um, so my um, email for the office is my first name, trom.win, N-G-U-Y-E-N, at mahouse.gov. Please feel free to share that information. Or um, also, um, you can check out my website for there is a campaign going on this year. My campaign website is votetrom.com, V-O-T-E-T-R-A-M.com, where you can find more information about me, as well as my positions on uh, particular issues, as well as the bills that I've signed on to. But I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you all and to share my um, work, as well as my candidacy to your audience. So thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. And don't forget, that you can, the last day to register to vote is August the 22nd. That's right. That's for the primary, in order to vote for the primary. So you okay, have perfect. a couple of days left. Last, last words? We want to thank you so very much for sharing so much of your personal history with us. As we've listened to so many people while we've been doing these podcasts, we realize that it's through our stories that we can move forward, we can move the needle. Our stories, when they're shared, show us that we're not alone. They show us that we are a community. They show us that we care about that community. And when we have all of those, not alone, shared community, then we have the power to win. And we thank you for your story today. Thank you. Judy, thank you. We really feel like you're in a lucky spot there having such an amazing representative. And Trom, it's lovely to get to spend time with you. And it's really nice to know that you're collecting everyone in your district stories and that you are holding those stories when policies are before you and you're bringing your legal expertise and your advocacy skills to really genuinely help the people who need it most. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Well, thank Bye. you very much. Thank it you. was a pleasure Bye. to meet you, Trump. <laughs> thank you.